You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Push through. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're all with us. Welcome to day 121 and 122 of reading through the Bible in a year. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, you've made it through almost, I mean, we're almost through Joshua, really. And uh, if you've made it this far, you might as well go through. You might as well you just go well all the way. Finish the next two hundred days, or two hundred fifty days. <laughs> well, you still got some time, but we're glad you're with us. Let's get right to it, Joshua. All right, our Old Testament reading for today is Joshua chapters nineteen through twenty-two. Mm. Well, we are still uh, casting lots, and the idea kind of is presented in chapter 19. Uh, at least it woke me up. It was kind of like, oh, that's right. They're, they're casting lots for who's next mm-hmm. and the territory. Um, that's what I, that my question for you was, was, did you get the impression that they're also casting lots or is it just who's next and now they allot? Like, uh, I, I couldn't they, figure out if... I like, think they're... I think it's they're casting to see who comes next, and then they're giving them what they need. Okay. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Because I didn't know if it was like, yeah, because, you know, a, a bigger tribe, like, um, they wouldn't put Asher in, like, the Simeon border. Simeon's mm. very small. So, basically, let's just go through it real quick. Yeah. Second lot comes up for Simeon. For Simeon, which is really interesting, because Simeon... Uh, was not included in the blessings of Moses. Mm-hmm. He was left out, and then uh, his Jacob had said Simeon would not uh, gain any of the land. So Simeon actually ends up gaining the like getting a portion of the land in the middle of Judah. Yeah, so he's like a little island. If you look at the map, it's a little island. Their border is literally in the middle of Judah. Yeah, and they're like the smallest tribe at this point. So. Um, and Judah's land that was allotted to them was too big for them to manage anyways. So yeah. they gave a portion of it to Simeon as like, a, we know you weren't supposed to get any of your own land, but we're going to be gracious to you anyways. So just as a, uh, a previously on the Bible, we're, we're referring wow. back to Genesis, I think it's 49, mm-hmm. where uh, Levi and Simeon wreak revenge mm-hmm. on the rape of their sister Dinah and they abuse the covenant sign of the Lord which <clears> is <throat> circumcision so that's as a result Jacob rages against them mm-hmm. for using God's sign like that and for bringing the wrath of all the neighbors on their little family at that yeah. point in time so the curse is Levi will be scattered among the tribes yeah. and among his brothers and Simeon, will he be scattered or will he just not? Yeah, they it? both have the same curse. So you'll be scattered. But um, Levi kind of got it back yeah. when they protected the sign of the Lord right. uh, by at the golden calf. At the golden calf, yeah. yeah. So, but Simeon, there was no redemption for Simeon. And the he's, tribe. he's slowly shrinking. And they're slowly shrinking, and eventually they just get absorbed into the tribe of Judah and right. disappear. Boom. So there that is. That's, that's interesting and sad. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Simeon didn't recover. He didn't bounce back in faith, apparently. So then you go to uh, Zebulun, gets the third lot. And uh, I actually drew these out because I wanted to. Like in my little notebook here, I, I drew it out to get a, an idea. And it is helpful mm-hmm. to draw it out and go, okay, so 
you have Zebulun, which is kind of in the middle. Of, so if you break it up into north and south, mm-hmm. it's north, kind of sandwiched between, of course, Manasseh takes the big chunk, yep. but it's sandwiched between Nephtali, Issachar, and Asher. It's like in the middle. It's kind of like the Simeon. It is in, interesting. In sense. Well, it is interesting, too, because um, they were actually, the idea for them, e- even with Moses and with uh, Jacob, was that they were supposed to be seafarers, oh. and they're, like, landlocked in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what? But they have uh, the river, mm-hmm. uh, the Kishon River. That leads that, straight out to the Mediterranean, or Great Sea, sea at that and, point. Yeah, and so... They would use that, and they were kind of boat people, actually, despite the fact that they were in the middle. Mm -hmm. And then Issachar gets a nice piece of land along the neighbors, the Jordan River. So you got to realize, Mediterranean Sea on the west, Jordan River on the east, and then Neftali uh, is up there against... It actually goes a little bit over the Jordan, it looks like. It does, yep. And and so uh, they get the Jordan River. Well, actually... um, the Jordan doesn't continue. The Jordan ends at the Sea of Chinnereth or the uh, Sea of Galilee. Okay. So that's no longer a border. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then Asher is along the coast of the Mediterranean. So you got Asher, Nephtali, and Manasseh who are going to have to battle with um, not Canaanites, but with the Syrians. other... Syrians. Syrians. Other group of people that are north of them. Mm-hmm. So that's gonna kind of a special thing. And then down the, uh, we've already talked about the east side, so Manasseh, Gad, uh, half-tribe of Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, um, that's the east side. And then it just, if you keep going down south, Manasseh gets another chunk there, Ephraim. Um, but basically, the rest of this chapter is Joshua well, pulling the lot, and then um, yeah, so giving we get, them their borders. We get into Tali, and then I just want to make a note about Dan. Yes, yeah. Dan was interesting, so... They uh, apparently had a really hard time holding their territory, which is um, which is interesting too because it's in between. They are sandwiched in between Ephraim and Judah, like and a little border of Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin and Manasseh. Yeah, so yeah. like they're sandwiched between like the like one, two, three, four. They're right there. They're, they're right there, and like. Uh, between at least between like the house of joseph and judah like that's a big fighting force and yet dan had a really hard time um keeping their territory and they actually lost it eventually wow and migrated all the way up into the land of naphtali and took this little city up in the northern north eastern point of Naphtali and renamed it Dan. And that's like where the tribe of Dan went to and, and like that, resided that, in this little And that area. happened in chapter 19? Yeah. I wondered. You know, there's parts where it's like tough to follow. You're like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, the territory of the people of Dan was lost to them and the people of Dan went up and fought against Leshem. And after capturing it and striking it with the sword, they took possession of it and settled in it and called Leshem Dan. So now there's a little pocket between Judah, Manasseh, Ephraim, Benjamin, right there in the middle, up against the Mediterranean Sea, that is just not conquered. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got to get the picture. Kind of a patchwork of things. The The Lord has given them the land, and mm-hmm. either they've finished clearing it or they haven't. Yep. Okay. And then I was thinking, too, like Joshua got a little bit of an inheritance at the end of this. Yep. Which was nice. And the temple, or the tabernacle... 
I was thinking, okay, we got to remember where the tabernacle is at every phase of the story. Yeah. And the tabernacle now is at Shiloh. Yes, in Ephraim. In Ephraim. Of the tribe of cool. Joshua. Well, and then it goes into chapter 20, which finishes the allotment. And, re- and I'm reminded, too, like, the allotment is very cool because uh, God is setting up the boundaries mm-hmm. and saying, this is yours. When you go into this land of rest, this land of promise, where you worship me, walk with me, be taken care of, remember all the blessings. I'm just reminded again that Christ says, go into all the earth, that Christ has an allotment for us. And it is the whole globe. It's the whole world. And that's why there's millions of churches all over that we are, uh, are, there are no boundaries anymore for the gospel because it's all his inheritance. So that's why I just keep thinking of that as we read the allotment and understanding why it's so important. So then when Christ says, go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, it's here's your allotment. And with that allotment comes the presence of God fighting for you. And then you really see it with... Um, the cities of refuge and the Levites. So now it's time to allot the Levites because they are going to be scattered and they're going to be uh, spread out in 48 cities. Mm-hmm. So 48 regions, they're going to have an allotment. And there's going to be six of those are cities of refuge, which we've already talked about. And uh, Well, I do want to, just real quick. So they had already uh, uh, established the cities of refuge on the east side. Yeah. And so now they established them on the west side. And two of them are interesting. So Hebron, uh, Kirith Arba, which is the city of Arba, uh, the greatest of the sons of Anak. And <clears throat> that's the city that Caleb took. And he ends up giving it to the Levites as a city of refuge. Oh, nice. And then um, Shechem in, the, in Manasseh is the other city of refuge, which I'm pretty sure, as like just uh, thinking about uh, in the future, when the... When Israel splits, mm-hmm. like when there's a civil war and Jeroboam goes up yeah. and takes the north, uh, I'm pretty sure he makes Shechem the new place of worship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're gonna, so, we're gonna... But that's just interesting. I never thought about it as it was already set up as a city of refuge. So the natural bent towards, yeah. well, Levite's already there. It's already a city set apart. Let's just use that instead of going back to Judah to worship. That's weird. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's, that's going to become a major theme, especially in verse in chapter <clears> twenty-two. <throat> uh, yeah. So basically, what we see here is that God sets up the priesthood mm-hmm. and says Levites who abuse the covenant sign are now the protectors of God's covenant of His word. They protect His justice, His mercy. So there's cities of refuge, and they're going to be the representatives. Uh, for the people to God and from God to the people. And so um, we, I don't know, I just think that's pretty cool. It's like um, giving in every like territory, there's a little city where there's pasture land, where they're kind of raising the sheep for sacrifice. And, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be in every part of this promised land is um, God's presence. And you take care of these people. It reminds me of church. Like you can't have too many churches. They aren't in competition, but you you give and you support. So every tribe and every land had to support the priesthood, which could be a pain in the butt, you know, like, oh, man, why do we have to give them that land or why do we have to do mm-hmm. this? But it's also, it will be a pain at times, but it's a reminder that God has given you uh, everything graciously. Um, and then the one thing I want to note about the, the allotment of the Levites is that yeah. the Kohathite clan of the Levites... Yeah. Um, which is the clan of uh, Aaron and Moses. 
and also specifically the people that were in line with Aaron, they were all given territories around Jerusalem, which is yeah. the future site of the temple. So before they even knew about the temple or knew that they were going to build one, God already by lot gave them those guys, the priests, the future priests from Aaron, from Aaron, yeah. gave them all land situated around Jerusalem. Right. So they would have quick and easy access to the temple. Which yeah, I thought was super cool. Because no one knew at this point that that's where the temple would be. Yeah. Really. So I thought that was really cool. And then, uh, really, the rest of 21, there's some there's some great kind of key verses at the end of 21, I think, mm-hmm. where um, <clears throat> God gave it to them. They took the land. They settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he had sworn to their fathers, not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Mm-hmm. So after the, it's all allotted, <clears throat> you celebrate the fact that God kept his word. I can't believe it. It's 40 years. It's time to rest, finally. Mm-hmm. And so there's just amazing, like you can't forget to enjoy the successes, you know? Yeah. And then support the priesthood. And you go finish carrying out the proclamation of this is God's territory now, dedicated to God. This is land that's been given to you by him. He protects its borders. He blesses its fruitfulness. And uh, he blesses you. Yeah. So chapter 22 is pretty amazing because it's, it's the old fake Rooney. Like, what? Are they already... Are they already making bad choices? What's happening? Yeah, so 22 is... It's cool because we finally have gotten to a point where it's like, all right, most everyone is settled and it's up to them on what part of the land they take now. And so Reuben, Gad, and... Uh, the old half-tribe. <clears throat> half-tribe of Manasseh. You guys have done your part. You've helped your brothers take the land, take their territories. Their land has been allowed to them. They've started to move in and take it. You kept your word. You fought. You guys did good. Joshua blesses them. And says, now go back to your homes and enjoy the land that you have. Which yeah. oh, and then I was like, oh, that's really cool. In verse 5, I thought was like the heart of it. So go home. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Yes. And so Joshua blessed them. All right. So they go home. They get... On the other side of the Jordan. No, they're about to cross the Jordan. That's right. Like, So this is what was kind of, I think, threatening. But <laughs> yeah. So they're about to cross the Jordan. Um, and I'm assuming it's probably near Gilgal, where they first landed. Right. Uh, so they're still on the west side. And they make a massive altar. Which looks like the altar at Shiloh now. That the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. they make it look like the altar where you're going to actually offer the sacrifices mm-hmm. which you're not supposed to i guess you're not yeah you you're only supposed to make sacrifices where the tabernacle is right um, so what did all the levites do in their region well i guess they would uh they would handle like the like the bread and peace offerings and okay. stuff like that and <clears throat> um i guess they might uh, might have done like little ones i don't know i don't know that's a good question um but uh so they 
before they cross over, make this giant imposing altar that's even bigger than the one at Shiloh. Right. And and then the rest and then they cross over. And then the rest of Israel finds out about it because it's massive and they're like freaking out going, "Oh my gosh, are they already turning against the the Lord? Like are they already getting ready to like make offerings to someone else? Like what are they doing?" And I it's amazing to see how uh, the priests rush up there with 10 of the tribal leaders mm-hmm. and they basically make their case like what are you guys doing yeah do you know do you remember what happened at peor yeah and so you have to remember at ba- they worshiped baal the the fertility god because the moabite women mm-hmm. seduced them right which was interesting too cuz it's phineas now is yeah. the uh, high priest at this point and phineas was the one who killed the Simeonite yeah. leader who was with the Moabite woman. So and he's like, dude, I am javelined so, yeah. two people. <laughs> and so, while- so Phineas is there going, what are you doing? Like, we, we're still, like, not over that, that whole event. Like, you event. can't worship another god because it's against the law. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized, too, reading this, they're so concerned about it because Deuteronomy says the Lord will put his name at a place. Yes. And and you start to recognize God saying, I don't want little deviations, mm-hmm. uh, like almost like a dialect. You know, the, the language gets deviated and the, how you think about God gets changed according to where you live. No, that's no, no. happened. Right. And so, yeah, it's all gets mixed. Mm-hmm. And we think that's a good thing now. Oh, it's mixed. It's like, oh, we're syncretistic. We don't think it's good. No. But people, the culture thinks mm-hmm. that's cool or something. But God's like, no, 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 because... There is only one way. There's mm-hmm. only one son. I want you to recognize the true God and the true name when he comes to you. And if it's going to be all different according to the geography, it's going to be messed up. So they remind him of Baal of Peor. Then he reminds him of Achan. So first it was the don't worship another God. And then second, the case was, remember how Achan brought loss to us? Yeah. We are going to get punished if For you your do this. Sin. So they even offer, they say, look, we don't want to be punished by the Lord. We will give you some more land. If you guys all of a sudden now are aggressive towards us, and this mm-hmm. is what this is about, like you want to take it, have the land. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it matters how you act. And again, this makes me start to rethink older ideas of church discipline, like where a church disciplines a person yeah, for yeah. sinning. But I'm, I'm understanding the biblical idea of that is more than just like humiliating someone and making them do mm-hmm. good. It's actually, we are all united through the blood of Christ. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're united. We're one body. And your sin affects our nation. So when, now, I don't know, it works out a little differently, I think, now. Mm -hmm. Or God's just a lot more gracious because of Christ. But these guys are saying, if you worship another God here, we're all going to pay for it. Do you remember what God did? The plagues that break out? And we can't do this. And so it does make me think, like, part of loving people in their sin is saying, you know, you're a part of my family and this is going to bring economic hardship. This is going to bring emotional hardship. This is going to bring, like you have to think about, it's not just you doing whatever you want. Mm -hmm. You're part of the body of Christ now by your baptism and by partaking of the Lord's Supper. If you don't want that, then don't do those things anymore. Anyway, the good news is (laughs) they all respond like it's a total misunderstanding. Yes. Actually, that altar was to protect us against what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah, and the altar was to be a witness. I love that. Like, what we wanted, we just know. Like, they're not naive or dumb people. Mm-hmm. Like, we know that in a few generations, 
your kids and our kids will be like, what do we have to do with each other? Right. You right. guys are different over there. Yeah, like, we're, we have this... We, you, we have a giant barrier running between right. us. It's a natural, physical border, yeah. the, the Jordan River. And so we're probably not really that close. Mm-hmm. And so the leaders say, let's build a giant, uh, almost like a memorial to a witness to the real altar in Shiloh. Mm-hmm. And they say, so we're building one so that we would remember it. We tell our kids that we are connected to the God of Israel, even yes. though we're far away up here mm-hmm. in the Northeast. Yeah. And then, too, I was reading how the idea that it was giant was so that it wasn't like a hidden secret altar. Like, because they wanted them to know. Like, they wanted them to see that they had built this and not like they were trying to worship some other god in secret. It was, no, no, we're worshiping your god and we're just reminding that we're connected to you guys. And we're reminding you, we're reminding our future generations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it would be easy if you're bordering these other Syrian countries to be like, hey, we're cool. Like mm-hmm. they're saying, no, we worship this God. Yes, straight up. Yes. Well, misunderstandings happen, and um, I just think this is a great example of like what happens in the church all the time. Yeah. Is there's misunderstandings, but it's the power of God's word and spirit kind of working in the hearts of His people that can produce reconciliation, can speak truth and love. So both were being honest and true, and they worked through. They work through their misunderstandings and their um, fears and anger and all that. And so we end chapter 22 with, all right, it looks like yeah, they're going to do, the eastern tribes are going to, they're on board. They're on board. Praise God. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, amazing because they're a powerful group of people. Yeah. So thank you, Lord, and thanks for keeping your word. And so now it's like uh, this, this one ends, you know, um, we're all going to give witness to the Lord, giving us peace and rest, and we want to obey. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We're in a sweet spot in Joshua right now. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our New Testament passage for today, which is John chapters 2, verse through 3, verse 21. I'll have to turn a bunch of pages to get there. Yeah, so... Second chapter of John. John just is, like, getting into it. Yeah. He's just like... It's filthy, as the kids say, which is a good (laughs) term for something cool. Huh. Because we've said cool to me. Yeah, well, maybe ten years ago, it's filthy. Off the hook. (laughs) I don't know. Um, (laughs) Wedding at Cana. Jesus loves weddings. He goes. Yeah. Weddings are a seven-day affair, feasting. It's a huge uh, time of rejoicing, and it's a huge social blunder if you can't support. You've been preparing for this feast for a year. You've been, uh, you spent a lot of money, and you should have thought of everything. And so that's how this goes down. Yeah, so if you run out of the party drink. The party which, dies. And, which uh, I'm calling wine now. Yeah, the party drink. So I, just, I, I think, first of all, it's important to realize Jesus goes to weddings. He loves it as he's there. Um, they start to run out of wine, and Mary says, Jesus, do something about it. Yeah. Now, Jesus has not, in this account, John has said he hasn't done any miracles yet. So his very first miracle is at a wedding, and my take on this is I'll use this, uh, this passage at weddings quite mm-hmm. often because uh, it just tells us so much about the, uh, the nature of a wedding as looking forward to us being with Christ 
and God forever and ever. Like, yes. we are the bride. He's going to carry us over the threshold into the new world. So when she says, Jesus, do something about this, he says, um, now is not the time. My hour has not yet. I'm like, what does this have to do with me? Yeah, what does this have to do with me? And he says, my hour hasn't come. And the key to this, to understanding that re- response, is that like every wedding, when you're sitting there, you think about when you're going to get married if yeah. you're single. Every single person's like, oh, I hope I get married one day. And you romanticize, you think about it. Or if you've been married, you think about, oh, man, I can't believe I got married. And I remember my mm-hmm. day. And, and so Jesus also is thinking about, oh, I can't wait for the consummation of my relationship with my people when we are married. It's not my time mm-hmm. to make endless wine yet, mom. Mm-hmm. But he's like, oh, you know what? And I love I how... I can't resist. Well, I love how she, he says that, and then she just looks at the servants and says, do whatever he tells you, and yeah. then moves on. Like, it's classic so, mom move. It's such a classic, yeah, mom, mom-son it. relationship. Like, she rolls her eyes, oh, whatever, do just whatever he says. Do whatever he says. So, I mean, the fact that she knew that he could do something about it... Yeah. Means like she knew, like he's obviously done something before. Well, she remembers the angels singing, yeah, and the shepherds, and because it does seem like a weird request, Gabriel, right? But she knows, and then okay, so this part is interesting to me because I've just understood like the significance of it. Um, so there's six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons of water. And so these jars... I'd like your cheapest 30-gallon jug of wine. Yeah. So these... Well, these, these jars were for uh, purification. It was for cleansing yourself. Bathing, yeah. It was for the... Um, to become ceremonially clean if you use this water. And okay. so they made it out of a special stone that they thought no uncleanness could pass through this stone. Like, Nothing was getting into these jars to make this water unclean. This water, once it was put in these jars, it was always clean and nothing could pass through. And so then Jesus says, fill those jugs with the water and then go take it to the, uh, what is it, the wedding? The manager, like the 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 host. Coordinator. Yeah. And so. The master of the feast. Yes. Which is my new rap name. (laughs) And then. Jesus turns that water into wine. Yeah. He, re- like, does a miracle by going, oh, no, I can pass through this stone. Yeah. I can mess with the water that's inside this. There's so much here. It's, I love that. It's his first miracle. It's showing what he's all... To me, it's setting the tone. He couldn't resist this miracle. It's not even bringing someone, like, healing a blind man. or it, It's literally, I have come to keep the party going <laughs> like this is what i'm all about and you need to know that about jesus like jesus has come to keep life abundantly going and mm-hmm. never running out because that's the problem with our lives is yeah. everything good runs out and uh jesus is the author of life that says it'll never run out again and so and i also like that not everybody sees this yes like the master of the feast is like whoa like okay miracle the disciples. No, no the master of the feast doesn't even know. It's he's the just servants. Like, he's just like yeah. He just he just takes. He thinks it's the new. You're wine. bringing out the best wine, yeah. yeah. Which I love that Jesus makes the best wine. Well, he he saves the best for last, which is what he we've seen in the Old Testament. With it's four hundred years, four hundred forty years later, they're resting in the land, mm-hmm. and uh, and he saves the like we have a future, 
And so that's the thing to encourage us when you're going through hard times and you're like, this Christianity thing isn't helping me right now. Well, it's always a long play and it's always ending way better than it's starting. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea behind resurrection and that's the whole idea behind a creator God who uh, keeps the party going. Yeah, and he brings the best stuff. Woof. Uh, so then... Always invite Jesus to a party. Yeah, seriously. Boom. Put uh, on a t-shirt. So then, in, in John... So in the other uh, accounts that we've read so far of the Gospels... Yes. Um, Jesus really only goes to celebrate the Passover, but at the end of his ministry, it's that's a triumphal, recorded. Yeah, the triumphal entry, which is his third Passover Yes, and in his so, ministry. So in John, we have... He records three Passovers that Jesus goes to. Right. And so this is the first one, and he puts this one first. And so who knows? Maybe Jesus did this every time he went to, right. <laughs> went to Jerusalem. But uh, so John records now, he goes to the Passover and does the whole clean, cleans out like the outer courts of the temple with the money changers and everything, makes a whip, drives everyone out, yeah. and is like... Uh, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And they say... Oh, yeah, I love this. They say, what sign do you show us yeah. for doing these things? And Jesus <laughs> says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Which I love that. It's so, like... Because they're thinking the temple, because he's standing in the temple. No, he sounds... But he's like, kill me, and find out what happens. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's what John is so good about recording in his gospel... It's like he kind of does a, a he breaks through the wall, the fourth wall, or mm -hmm. is that what they call it? And he talks to the audience and says, uh, well, you know, uh, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus spoke. Like, oh, we realized afterward yeah. what Jesus was saying. At the time, we're like, why are you doing this? <laughs> and the best we could come up with is he had zeal for the temple. Like, yeah. well, I really love the temple. Yeah. But yeah, Jesus' answer is, I'll give you a sign. Yeah. You will see my authority to clean the temple when you kill me and you can't. Yes. You, we cannot run out of wine and I cannot run out of life. These are the signs that you'll see. Then, um, it also is don't disrespect the house of God. Mm -hmm. Like the, which does tie into you can't build another altar wherever you want. Like you have to go through the, the way God, where God puts his name is how you go. Mm -hmm. And God has put his name on Jesus. So then John talks, I, this little passage, oh, um, 23, so Just chapter 2, verse 23 through 24. Okay. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Yay! When they saw the signs he was doing. Oh, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So the idea for me there... Is things are going swimmingly. Mm -hmm. People are believing. Like the movement is moving. Mm -hmm. And we're gaining popularity. And so the disciples are like, Jesus, you know, at the end of a hard day, you've seen a bunch of people healed. You've, you've cast out demons. Everyone loves you. Everyone loves you. And they're like, Jesus, isn't this great? Mm -hmm. Everyone loves you. And Jesus just says, I don't entrust myself to anything that man says. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because he knows that the condition of sin in man is terminal. Like, you are terminally ill with sin. And so your witness does not add credibility. It, I cannot trust 
I know that you're just doing it because you got healed. Yeah. And you'll forget. And you'll wander away. Right. And he's not like condemning them. Mm -hmm. Like, you guys are jerks for it. He's just like, I know you can't run the marathon because you have a terminal illness. Mm -hmm. And so you just can't do it. So I'm not going to use you to feel successful. I'm not going to trust you to feel like I'm doing good. I'm going to only trust the Lord and the Lord will bear witness to me because that's what will get you through the times of failure. So while he's being crucified and no one loves him, he's still owning who he is and what mm-hmm. he's doing because he's not looking to people to, to validate, to his, validate ministry. his ministry. Yeah. And that's why it speaks so loud yes. to me. It's like, because we look to people to validate, like, am I lovable? Am I doing good? Like, we kind of look at that. How much am I entrusting myself to people? Which is the question. Jesus knew better. And yeah. he's like, I can't. And again, not because he didn't love us, but he's like, you guys just don't aren't capable. Yeah. That, but I came to fix that. Yeah, I know. I, it, every time I read this little passage, because it's, the, I think, the only gospel that says this, yeah. I'm like, whoa! It's like a splash of water in my face. Well, and, and so it flips it in my mind. Like, a lot of times we, we try to love people and then look to Christ. Like, did I do good? And am I good? I love people. And the reality is you look to Christ... And then you have a shot at loving people. You mm-hmm. can't look to, you know, we do mm-hmm. it opposite because we feel, we're feeling good because we look to people and go, oh, I've been helpful. I'm good, right, Lord? And the Lord's like, you, you can think yeesh. that. Yeah, yeesh. Oi, oi, oi. He's still Jewish. And uh, he's like, look to Christ. And uh, that, that's why I like that. It's like, but the question for me is, how much am I entrusting myself mm-hmm. and my worth and my mission to people? And then God have mercy on me, and I'm going to look to Christ. Um, yeah. All right. We got more, though, because yeah. now we got to get through chapter three, which is another epic chapter. It's the, uh, the conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus. So this is an interesting, because this is a Pharisee. Right. And this is a Break Pharisee who is actually like, I like what he's saying. <laughs> And he's uh, I'm curious. And he's a member of the Sanhedrin. Right. The seventy. The seventy that actually uh, will interrogate Jesus at night. And so, like, he is like up there. So Sanhedrin thinks Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I was just. Yeah, yeah. So he's like kind of he's like a he's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And he, of course, though, has to like sneak out and meet up with Jesus at night to because he's a very important person and, and can't afford to be just like today in politics. He's like, I really like this guy. I just can't be seen with like him. if you say you like, support <laughs> the view of someone who's not popular. Now you are your yeah. reputation is sullied. Yes, I like that word. Yeah, it's a good word. It's a good word. Sully. That's what forty-four years of living will get you. <laughs> Sweet vocab every once in a while. Um, yeah, so he kind of goes, he goes to him and says, hey, we know that you have to be from God yeah. because no one can do the signs that you do right. unless they're from God. Let's be honest, yeah. Like, we all know this. Like, even my buddies, my, all the Pharisees, all the Sanhedrin, we all know that you have to be from God. And so we're either going to figure this out or we're going to uh, be threatened by you. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, what what can we do about this? What can what can? Uh, and I bet he's a man of power, so he's like giving Jesus a chance, chance. to explain himself. You're mm-hmm. very lucky right now. And Jesus just says, Jesus. "You got to be born again, man. You got to be born from the Greek is born from above." Yeah. Well, what do you mean? How can it? Wait, what? And then 
Jesus just says, um, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I have to read this. That which is born of the, of the flesh is flesh, and which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again or born from above. Then he even describes it. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's so, such a great image. Like You can hear the wind, but you can't see it, and mm-hmm. that's how salvation, you're born from above, that you hear it, you see the result of it, and even the water of baptism I know, marks it I'm, out. I mean, man. he says you're saved by water and the Spirit. So, I, yeah, I grew up I know. reading this passage all saying? the time, and I, it wasn't until like l- this last year that it hit me that he says born of water and the Spirit, and I was finally like, oh my gosh, he's talking about baptism. Yeah, 100%, because <laughs> you're the people... Who were born as a nation out of the waters <laughs> of the Red, Red sea. sea. I know. I was like, You're ah! the people born out of the Jordan River. You're the people then who are marked by the waters of refreshing and cleansing mixed with the faith which delivers the Holy Spirit. I know. So you're born of water and the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I know. And then I love Nicodemus is like trying to figure it out. He's like, how can these things be? And Jesus is like... You're a teacher? Are you a teacher of Israel? And you don't understand these things? Yeah. I know. And he's like, because he's like, do you not remember the Red Sea? Do you not remember the Jordan River? Do you not remember... Yes, you're a teacher. You should know our history. history. And like the things that we've walked through to get to life. Yes. See, that's what's always missed. Mm -hmm. that's That's why he follows it with, you're a teacher. You should know our history. Yeah. We are a people born of water and spirit, always. 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 Always and forever. Perfect. Yep. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can I tell you heavenly things? And so then he, Jesus drops that no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, mm-hmm. the Son of Man. So again, he's using his language. I have descended and I'm going to ascend. And then, um, and then he, he actually, this is where you go in Numbers, when we read about the bronze serpent, mm-hmm. Jesus drops the bronze serpent know, story here, right here and says, I am the, the son of man is lifted up. I am that, that serpent. serpent that everyone looked to for, for salvation. So now look to me. I will be up on, basically I'll be skewed on a stick, yep. dead, and you look to, when you're bit by death, you look to me for salvation. Mm-hmm. He literally... I mean, literal, like yeah. a literally genre, like a literal <laughs> genre. He does, he compares himself to being lifted up um, like that serpent. It's pretty amazing. And then we get to the, the most famous verse in the Bible, at least in uh, the North American experience in the last 50, 60 years. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But what's fascinating about that verse is the verse that's never said is God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus doesn't come as the lawgiver. Mm-hmm. He comes as the grace giver, the fulfiller of the law, and the inviter to come in. The, the price has been paid, and the gates are open, but you must believe in me. And then 18, I always this always jumps out at me. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not, or whoever believes in him, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
Yeah. So like you're already condemned. That's yeah. my. We thing already about, bring our own condemnation on us. You're already in the condition of a terminal illness. Yeah. Sin. And so you turn the lights on. He refers to himself as the light of the world. And uh, all of this, though, is pointing Nicodemus to the reality that I have descended. I will ascend. Mm-hmm. I am. Look to me and be saved. Right. So he even uses your teacher. You can understand there was a time when you looked to the serpent, you're saved. Mm-hmm. When you looked to the words of Moses and you were saved. Where you believed, you put, and then it resp- you responded with an action. So you put blood on the doorpost. Mm-hmm. Now you respond with an action. You get baptized. You, you receive the signs and then you have the assurance of faith and your belief and your faith in Christ is that he has actually saved you. Yeah. Repent, which is, I need you. And then uh, I don't know how he finishes the conversation. It just kind of goes that John just basically tells us the most important thing. Uh, Yeah, because then... 21? That's where we end. Yeah, it just ends on 21. And then the next, what we'll talk about in the next day is uh, you're back with his disciples. So we will hear from Nicodemus again. Yeah. He ends up being a believer. Yeah, which is really cool. Trusting the Lord. Yeah, it's really... And it's good to know, like, not... Like, because we, I think, have a tendency to lump all the Pharisees in together as, like... Oh, they were... As a group, they were just bad. And it's like... I mean, sure, maybe the majority of them were, but there were guys who believed and understood and sought after him and tried to figure it out. Honestly, we don't know. I mean, it's very everything's complicated, and so the loudest Pharisees, um, who knows? Yeah. But yeah. God so loved the world, and I like that too. It doesn't say God so loved people. God so loved the world, and that the Greek word is cosmos. cosmos. Yeah. I like how you're finishing my sentences today. Cosmos. You're just, uh, uh, that's just happening now. You're finishing my sandwiches. Okay. That didn't work. I thought you were going to go with me there. All right, today we're going to do Psalm. How dare you stare at 54. Oh God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. Oh God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name. O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. fed by ravens go in peace and serve the lord we'll talk to you next time